As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 202, and today we're talking about allopurinol, a very common medication that I 100% am pretty confident saying you're going to see in clinical, working as a nurse, and yes, on those nursing school exams. Before we dive into that, I do want to take a quick minute. I love doing my listener shout outs to my San fam, the Straight A Nursing fam. And this one goes out to Kara, who was writing about Study Sesh, my other podcast, which I think you guys are really going to love. I'll talk to you about it more in a little bit. But here is what Kara has to say. I thought I loved the regular Straight A Nursing podcast, but this one is on a whole other level. Combined, they provide excellent study material, and I feel like I've struck audiovisual learning gold. And the drills, yes! I don't start nursing school until September, but I already feel like I'm ahead of the curve. Thank you, Nurse Mo. Kara, thank you so much for taking the time to write that. I love that you are loving study sesh, and the drills are one of my favorite things, too. So what Kara's talking about, again, is my other podcast, Study Sesh, and in that podcast, we have four different types of audio learning components. So all the episodes are divided up into being either a pod quiz, which you've probably heard me do pod quizzing before. If you haven't, we'll do a couple of pod quiz questions at the end today so you can see what it's like. We also do case studies. We do some power hours, which is a deep, deep dive into a topic. And then the drills, which Kara was such a fan of. Drills is where we basically drill, drill, drill information more of those things that you need to kind of memorize, like cranial nerves is one of my favorite examples of this. We drill it over and over and over again. We go in order, then we go out of order, then we go in order, then we go out of order. We do it backwards. We do it sideways. We do it until you can't get it wrong. So thanks again, Kara. And if you're interested in learning more about Study Sesh, check out the episode notes. I would love to see you there. Or you can go to learn.straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. Okay, so let's dive in to our topic today, which is allopurinol. And this is a medication that's often considered to be one of the top 100 most prescribed medications in the U.S. So when a medication is prescribed that often, I'm pretty confident it shows up on the NCLEX. I'm pretty confident that you're going to see it in the clinical setting. So let's go through all the things you should probably know about allopurinol using the straight-A nursing drugs framework. So it's D-R-R-U-G-S. Let's dive in with D, which is drug class. Allopurinol is one of those meds that is classed both pharmacologically 
and therapeutically. So pharmacologically, it is in the class of xanthine oxidase inhibitors. That's xanthine oxidase inhibitors. And in the therapeutic class of anti-gout agents and anti-hyperuricemics. And if you listened to my episode a couple of weeks back, episode 200, I talked about tumor lysis syndrome, which involves dangerously high levels of uric acid, so hyperuricemia, and allopurinol is one of the medications used in tumor lysis syndrome. So let's look a bit at that pharmacologic class, xanthine oxidase inhibitors. So xanthine oxidase is the enzyme that synthesizes the formation of uric acid from the purine hypoxanthine. And I hope I'm saying that right, hypoxanthine. Purines are organic compounds made up of nitrogen and carbon atoms, and they can be differentiated as endogenous or exogenous. Okay, so I'm going to repeat that so we can wrap our brains around this. So xanthine oxidase is the enzyme that synthesizes the formation of uric acid from a purine. Purines are organic compounds that are made up of nitrogen and carbon atoms, and they can be endogenous or exogenous. So endogenous purines make up the majority of the purines in the body. That means these are the purines that the body produces and are found within cells. Now, as cells die or are damaged, the body must process all the purines that are released by those cells. And then we have exogenous purines. Exogenous purines are those that are obtained via nutrition. And as the body processes purines, a byproduct called uric acid is formed. So in normal physiology, most uric acid is reabsorbed and the rest is excreted via the feces and the urine. But when uric acid builds up in hyperuricemia, this can lead to the formation of kidney stones and the development of gout, which is a painful inflammation of the joints. So this is why your patients with these conditions will be advised to avoid eating foods high in purines. Examples are meats, especially organ meats, sugary foods, including sodas, especially like high fructose corn syrup type things, seafood, and in the seafood arena, it's mackerel, sardines, herring, scallops, anchovies that are kind of on the higher end. But one study I was reading suggested that pretty much all seafood has some purines and then alcohol. So that's the drug class information about allopurinol. Pharmacologically, it's a xanthine oxidase inhibitor and therapeutically anti-gout and anti-hyperuricemic. So the first R is for routes of administration, and this one's easy because allopurinol is only given two ways, PO and IV, and we'll talk about the different indications for each in just a moment. The second R for the drugs framework is the regular dose range, and the regular dose range for allopurinol is going to vary a little bit based on why it's being used and the patient's uric acid level. So for PO allopurinol, you're essentially looking at dose ranges for adults 
from 100 to 800 milligrams per day. And if that dose gets above 300 milligrams per day, it's recommended that we divide that out. Now, the IV dose is going to range from about 2 to 400 milligrams per meter squared per day with a max dose of 600 milligrams per day. And this can be given as one single or divided doses. As with many medications, the dose will be adjusted if the patient has renal impairment. So depending on how severe that impairment is, it could be a 30% reduction or a 50% reduction. So now let's go on to the letter U and talk about the uses of allopurinol. So looking at PO by mouth allopurinol, this is used for patients with gout, and you will sometimes hear this referred to as gouty arthritis, and used to prevent kidney stones secondary to hyperuricemia. Now, both PO and IV allopurinol are used to treat hyperuricemia in patients receiving treatment for tumors or leukemias. If you listened to my episode from a couple of weeks back on tumor lysis syndrome, you know that as these tumors are destroyed by the therapeutic agent, they release nucleic acids into the bloodstream, which leads to the buildup of uric acid. So allopurinol is used to treat hyperuricemia in patients who are getting this treatment. Now, there are a few off-label uses, and by few, I mean kind of a lot. So even though allopurinol is used mostly for gout, which is generally what you're going to see it for, and then if you work in an oncology unit, you're going to be seeing it used a lot for those patients who are at risk for tumor lysis syndrome or who actually do have it. But there are a lot of off-label uses. So let's talk about some of those here. So dermatology uses, you may see allopurinol used for psoriasis, sarcoidosis, and cutaneous leishmaniasis. Looking at cardiology treatments, Evidence shows a direct relationship between hyperuricemia and cardiovascular events. Allopurinol has been shown to improve exercise capacity and endothelial function in individuals with angina. It has this ability to decrease oxidative stress, and this has been shown to be really beneficial in congestive heart failure, and this improves contractility and left ventricular ejection fraction. So for cardiology, it's used to improve exercise capacity and endothelial function in individuals with angina, and in congestive heart failure, it's going to improve contractility and ejection fraction. And then there's malaria. Studies show that allopurinol, when given with quinine, can be an effective and faster therapy for malaria than just using quinine alone. And then one more really interesting off-label use is for schizophrenia. Remember, allopurinol is a xanthine oxidase inhibitor. And through its action as a xanthine oxidase inhibitor, Allopurinol can lead to increased adenosine levels in the body, and sometimes you may even hear it referred to as an adenosine agonist for this reason. Now, adenosine is a neuromodulator 
that affects the glutamatergic and dopaminergic pathways, which are dysfunctional in individuals with schizophrenia. So for this reason, allopurinol has been shown to be helpful when used as an adjunct in pharmacologic treatment of this disease. So I'm just going to go real quick back through those. Dermatology used for psoriasis, sarcoidosis, and cutaneous leishmaniasis. Cardiology is going to improve exercise capacity and endothelial function in people with angina. And then in congestive heart failure, it can improve contractility and ejection fraction. In malaria, if it's given with quinine, the patient's going to have a more effective and faster therapy. And then in schizophrenia, it may be used as an adjunct because of its glutamatergic and dopaminergic effects. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. So now let's move on to G, and this is where we talk about all the various guidelines for allopurinol administration. So there are some key factors in the safe and effective administration of allopurinol. So one of the key things is about teaching. You want to teach your patients that it's going to take a bit for the medication to dissolve the uric acid crystals and they could still have gout attacks while they're initiating therapy. This does not mean that the medication isn't working. They're likely to have gout attacks as the allopurinol is just starting out, especially if their levels were really high, their uric acid levels were really high, and or if they've had gout for a really long period of time. So assure them this is not unexpected. It doesn't mean it's not working. Give it some time. Now, allopurinol is typically not prescribed to individuals of Korean Han Chinese or Thai origin due to the likelihood of this certain allele. It's the HLAB5801 allele, if you wanted to know specifically what it was. And having this allele puts these individuals at risk for a severe cutaneous adverse reaction called allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome. Further, Individuals who possibly could have this allele are likely to get tested for it prior to administration. So this would go even farther and include all individuals of Asian, African, and Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander ancestry. So just know that there is a genetic component to developing allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome, and we would not want to give allopurinol to those individuals. 
Sometimes you'll hear or see that allopurinol is used cautiously if a current attack of gout is occurring. It definitely will not stop the current attack. And again, attacks could still happen while treatment is being initiated. Some very key safety considerations are that allopurinol has several drug-drug interactions. A key one is that it will increase the effects of warfarin and increase cyclosporine levels. Additionally, there's a higher risk of hypersensitivity reaction if allopurinol is used concurrently with ACE inhibitors or thiazide diuretics. There's probably others, but these are the most common medications. So again, if you listened to my episode on tumor lysis syndrome, you probably heard me say that if we are using diuretics, we're going to use non-thiazide diuretics because the patient's also probably going to be getting allopurinol. You would not want to use a thiazide diuretic. You want to ensure the patient understands adequate hydration is key. This is a key priority. Being dehydrated puts the patient at increased risk for the formation of renal calculi, and it can also worsen gout. So you want them to be very hydrated. All the drug package information on allopurinol is going to say take with plenty of water for this reason. You will monitor intake and output to ensure that the patient has adequate hydration, and you also want to monitor for obstructive kidney stone formation, which would cause a decreased urine output. For individuals with gout, monitor their pain, monitor their joint swelling, and then let's talk a little bit about the labs. So there could be quite a few lab tests done. So some key ones are serum and urine uric acid levels. These should start to decrease a few days after therapy is initiated, but again, it can take some time. A CBC may be done because allopurinol may cause anemia or thrombocytopenia because it does have some bone marrow suppression action. You also want to monitor renal function, so looking at BUN and creatinine, which would increase with impaired renal function. And you want to monitor hepatic function, AST, ALT, ALK, FOS, and bilirubin could be elevated with allopurinol. And then we also want to monitor blood glucose levels. Allopurinol is one of those medications that can cause a lower blood sugar level. This is especially of concern if your patient's taking an oral hypoglycemic medication because it can compound that hypoglycemic effect. Now, to minimize gastric irritation, it's advised that allopurinol be given with meals. I did see one resource that said, or milk, but most of the resources said drink with water for that hydration component. But do know that for gastric irritation, meals or milk are mentioned. And if it's given to patients who are receiving chemotherapy, it's given... 24 to 48 hours before the chemotherapeutic agent. The patient may be advised to avoid alcohol and adopt a more alkaline diet that is rich in fruits and vegetables, and this can help improve those uric acid levels in the body. Additionally, if they're taking the allopurinol for gout, and I know this isn't an episode about gout, but just as an FYI, they will also be advised to avoid 
probably most foods that have purines. Again, those were meats, especially the organ meats, those certain seafoods, the sodas, the high fructose corn syrup, sugary things, alcohol, things like that. You also want to teach the patient to report any skin rashes as this is a potential sign of hypersensitivity. Okay, so speaking of sensitivity, let's talk about the next letter in the drugs framework, which is an S, which is for side effects. The most serious side effects of allopurinol are dermatological in nature. These include Stevens-Johnson syndrome, toxic epidermal necrolysis, and DRESS, D-R-E-S-S, which is drug reaction with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms. And then we have that allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome. And though it is very rare, it is very severe and often life-threatening. This is that adverse reaction that is associated with that specific allele, the HLA-B5801 allele, but it can also occur in individuals without this allele in their genetic makeup. Other factors that would put someone at risk for allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome are a higher starting dose of allopurinol, renal impairment, and concurrent use of a thiazide diuretic. Signs of allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome include a severe rash, blisters, jaundice, fever, acute renal failure, eosinophilia, and GI bleeding. The more common side effects of allopurinol are rash, GI upset, and drowsiness. So your basic overview is allopurinol is a medication that's mainly used to treat gout and prevent kidney stone formation, though you may also see it used in tumor lysis syndrome or given to patients prior to chemotherapy to prevent that hyperuricemia that occurs with tumor lysis syndrome. Teach patients that they may still have gout attacks when initiating therapy, and that this definitely does not mean that the medication isn't working. Allopurinol has several drug-drug interactions and can potentiate the effects of warfarin, cyclosporine, and oral hypoglycemics. Teach your patients to drink plenty of water to ensure proper hydration and to adopt a diet rich in fruits and vegetables. The most serious side effects are dermatologic in nature and having that HLAB5801 allele puts the individual at higher risk for allopurinol hypersensitivity reaction. Okay, now that you Got a quick overview of allopurinol. I promised you some pod quiz questions so that you could see how much you retained. So I'm going to ask you a question. I will pause for a little bit, give you time to answer, and then tell you the answer. Basically, we're doing flashcards with our ears. So first question, what drug class is allopurinol pharmacologically? Allopurinol is a xanthine oxidase inhibitor. And then I mentioned two therapeutic classes. Can you name those?
One is anti-gout agent and the other anti-hyperuricemics. Okay, very, very good. So when we're looking at the xanthine oxidase inhibitor, what organic compound is this associated with? Purines. Very good. And as the body processes purines, what is the byproduct that is formed? Uric acid. Excellent, excellent, very good. Okay, let's do a few more. So we're looking at the PO regular dose range for allopurinol. What are you going to see for a dose range for an adult? You'll see dose ranges of 100 to 800 milligrams per day. At what point would you want the MD to consider parsing that out into divided doses? At what dose level? Doses above 300 milligrams per day, it's usually recommended that those are divided out into multiple doses. What are the two main uses for PO allopurinol? One is to treat gout, and the other is to prevent kidney stones. Very good. And the kidney stones are a result of what in the body? Too much of... Too much uric acid. Excellent. Let's say your patient is taking allopurinol. You get report on your patient. You look up his meds and you see he's taking allopurinol. And you don't remember hearing anything in report about him having gout or hyperuricemia or kidney stones. But he does have a heart history. If your patient has a cardiac history with congestive heart failure what might the allopurinol be doing for him? In congestive heart failure, it can improve contractility and left ventricular ejection fraction. In schizophrenia, allopurinol may be used because of what neuromodulator in the body. What is it going to affect in the body? Adenosine. Excellent. What is the severe, severe condition that someone who has the HLA-B5801 allele at risk for if they take allopurinol? Allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome. Name two types of drugs that, if used concurrently with allopurinol, significantly increase the risk of allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome. Those were ACE inhibitors and thiazide diuretics.
And then last one, how many signs of allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome can you name? So those were severe rash, blisters, jaundice, fever, acute renal failure, eosinophilia, and GI bleeding. So if you got one or two of those, really, really good job. So if you liked this little pod quiz review at the end, imagine having like 90-some full episodes of nothing but pod quizzing. It's absolutely fantastic, and it's waiting for you in study sesh. I will link to that in the episode notes or simply go to learn.straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. So I will see you back here next week, same time, same place. And we're going to be talking about another very common thing that you will see in the clinical setting, see on your exams, and that is osteoporosis. So if you're subscribed or following the podcast, it will show up for you magically. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead and subscribe. I'll see you next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.